Welcome to Web3 Galaxy Brain. My name is Nicholas. Each week, I sit down with some of the brightest people building Web3 to talk about what they're working on right now. My guest today is Django, co-founder of Juicebox Protocol, RevNets, and DeFIFA. Launched in 2021, Juicebox is a programmable fundraising protocol that's processed more than $180 million of contributions to over a thousand projects, from culture DAOs to open source projects. Most recently, Juicebox Protocol facilitated over 300 ETH in donations to the Legal Defense Fund for Tornado Cash developers Alexei Pertsev and Roman Storm. Juicebox's core mechanic issues receipt tokens for each contribution to a given project, which can be redeemed at a later date for a portion of the remaining treasury. Issue and schedules can be defined on-chain upfront, making possible trustless token launches and clear on-chain relationships between project founders and contributors. On today's episode, Django joins me to discuss a bunch of new projects that have emerged from the Juicebox ecosystem. Bananapus, Juicebox's much-anticipated cross-chain evolution, will enable contributing funds to a project on any L2, while maintaining Juicebox's trustless receipt token mechanics. RevNets, a fully automated form of Juicebox project, will replace DAO governance with predefined and immutable token issuance rules, simplifying project diligence and ongoing maintenance for project creators and contributors alike. Finally, Bannyverse, a new NFT project, will bring Juicebox's beloved Banny the Banana mascot on-chain with a plethora of customizable accessories with unique wearables for each L2 chain. It was fantastic catching up with Django about all the exciting projects he's been working on over the past year. I hope you enjoy the show. This episode of Web3 Galaxy Brain is sponsored by Zapper. Zapper is a smart block explorer that allows you to view the chain in a simple and human-readable way. Track your NFT and DeFi portfolio, search any Ethereum address, discover new opportunities, and trade, all from one place. Try Zapper on the web at zapper.xyz or download the Zapper mobile app from the Apple App Store and Google Play. See you on chain. My thanks to Zapper for supporting Web3 Galaxy Brain. As always, this show is provided as entertainment and does not constitute legal, financial, or tax advice or any form of endorsement or suggestion. Crypto has risks and you alone are responsible for doing your research and making your own decisions. Django, welcome back to Web3 Galaxy Brain. <laughs> hey Nicholas, good to chat again. It's been a few months. Yeah. Um, a few too many. A few too many, frankly, but I'm happy to have you back. Um, we're going to talk about all kinds of interesting things today. In in what what started as the juice box universe, but has now become something even bigger. There's so many different things going on. I know Bannyverse is about to drop, uh, or sometime in the future. Can you explain to people what Bannyverse is about? Yeah, sure. Yeah, the juice box ecosystem has somewhat uh, is 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 two things now, right? It's the the main production protocol that um, is powering a lot of fundraisers and there's a lot of activity going on now. Um, and then there's a bunch of experiments that are more future focused. Um, and that's where I spend a lot of my time. And Bennyverse is a manifestation of an art experiment that we've been playing with for a few years now. Um, it's an NFT collection that we initially had prototyped a few years back as part of this, this governance module. Um, but the focus had to shift back into a lot of risk mitigation and protocol stuff. And so uh, that art collection kind of got shelved for a while. Um, and now after uh, a long time getting uh, the protocol to where it needs to be, and now looking towards the future, um, we're going to use the Bandiverse collection to really showcase a lot of the tools that we've been building. Um, so hopefully a relatable um, NFT collection that really... Um, 
makes the more complicated mechanics and cross-chain interactions accessible to folks. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a great group of folks. It's a, a set of brilliant artists. It's an animated series. Um, it's a big wow. experiment, frankly. So we'll see how it plays. We're going to learn a lot in so doing. Um, but it's it always makes me smile whenever I look at the characters or hear them talk or work with the folks involved. So it's fun to produce. That's awesome. So Bannyverse, for people who haven't seen it, is uh, Banny, the juice box mascot, uh, sort of interpreted as a bunch of different uh, remixable traits. Uh, it's kind of like, um, what is it? Life's like a box of chocolates. It's like he shows up everywhere. He's in every scene or they are in every scene. And this is kind of the character set where you can get the, the Banny that just suits your aesthetic interest, something like that, right? Yeah. So the, the original collection was a just like an, an immense artistic explosion of uh, outfits and characters and references to pop culture in the present and the past. Um, and the current reincarnation of it is slightly different, but it pulls from the same set of ideas, the same aesthetic. Um, the way it's going to be deployed is you'll have four naked bannies to choose from. Uh, so the, the primary uh, forever collection are these four naked bannies. There's an alien banny. There's a pink banny, an orange banny, and an original banny, which is the yellow banny. And um, there's you know few alien bannies, a few more pink bannies, a few more orange bannies, and then an unlimited supply of original bannies, which so you can mint those forever. They're meant to be very accessible. And then over time, we're going to do outfit drops that are um, essentially curated uh, stories of like, uh, you know, maybe once a month or once every so often, we'll allude to, again, pop culture in the present or in the past um, and give folks 10 to 20 uh, outfits to choose from. And then folks can outfit their bannie and wear it around. Um, and each, and this whole process will be available on mainnet, on optimism, on any L2. So, uh, the cool thing about the, the collection from a programmatic perspective is that it's not just on one chain and the revenue from all the chains go actually into the same, uh, like financial energy train that's kind of moving in one direction and can't be stopped. And I think we'll get into that a little later. But on the surface, it lives as in, in uh, as, as these four naked bannies and in, in outfit drops. Uh, which change did you mention there? It's so, so uh, it's likely going to be mainnet as the main chain, right? And then we have, uh, we'll start with Optimism and Arbitrum. Um, and it can be any number of chains thereafter. So uh, we'll start offering it on a few chains. Um, but we can expand to future uh, to other chains in the future, and it'll plug right into the system. Um, and again, the, the same uh, four naked bannies will be offered on each, and then we can uh, do outfit drops um, uniquely to each chain thereafter if we want. Um, and very cool. Yeah, so it's like a vending machine on each chain, but then the revenues accumulate to mainnet. Yeah, and the vending machine metaphor is what we're going to keep coming back to here because I think that's the, the most more interesting way to, to describe what happens when you put a dollar bill into the machine and you get an item out, um, but then what happens to that dollar bill? And that's a, a question that maybe not everyone who interacts with Bennyverse is going to ask, but those who do uh, will find that there's some interesting things happening in that, in that vending machine. 
Um, and the coolest part is we have uh, some some great people doing the artworks. So Mios, who you know very well, is the the Pharrell of, of, of Bandyverse, if you will. He's the outfit curator, um, and he finds like the most interesting pop cultural references, and then he works with Sage to actually get those mocked up and uh, in, in in files to then upload into the the collection. Um, and they're all going to kind of live in the same NFT collection, all the naked bandies and all the outfits uh, into the future. And, um, and Perry's working on the minting experience. And he's just like, yeah, it's, it's insane to like describe his perspectives on small details uh, through through it all. Um, and then an animator, Lurk Moth, who I think you and I met for the first time. We were in Marfa a few years back. Um, at, uh, as he was doing a multimedia show. He's uh, around now and he's uh, doing an, an animated series to kind of develop the characters and the plots across these various worlds that Benny will find himself in. Crazy. So the animations, you said. Animations, and that's kind of meant to not necessarily just be Web3 oriented, um, but just play to the fact that Benny is a relatable character that can can captivate. And it's a, it's an experiment. We'll see what the what plays where. Um, but the, the point of Bandyverse is to have a, an NFT angle to this, um, but also have broader appeal, uh, like past crypto that can hopefully get folks in as, as they, they develop curiosity or, or want to be involved further. Now, if people want to buy one of these bannies on L2s, they're paying in ETH or something else? They'll be paying in ETH, yeah. Um, ETH or in a future L2 um, will probably stick to the native currency of each chain. Um, but again, that can change depending on uh, if there's a, a new chain that we roll out later or if someone rolls out a, a, a new chain that we, that we want to do um, extend Bannyverse to. And we'll also be able to, to do the pricing uh, on that chain slightly differently. But on mainnet, it's on ETH and Optimism to ETH. So for people who have messed around with Juicebox in the past, um, is that Juicebox that's running on L2s or is it something else? It's an evolution of Juicebox. Yeah. So here we're about to get into like the long story. So we'll try to break it up and, and find uh, a narrative that takes you, I think, from where uh, you, you are. It's, it's been a few months since you've been kind of intimate, intimately involved. You, you played a big role in helping the Juicebox culture uh, evolve through a kind of a, a more, I would say, versioning risk mitigation chapter uh, while also playing some really uh, uh, interesting experiments on the surface. Um, so we, we started playing with this idea called banana puss. So imagine a banana with tentacles um, as a hypothetical, like how might juice box play uh, in a multi-chain world? Um, the original complexity of doing so, of just like deploying Juicebox on Optimism, on Arbitrum, as they were warming up, uh, as well as the the uh, flagship mainnet deploy, was that the way Juicebox works is yeah, it's, it's a protocol that's deployed, but the first project on the protocol is Juicebox DAO that issues JPX. Um, as ETH comes into any Juicebox project, including uh, Juicebox DAO, um, it issues the project's token outward according to the current issuance rate. So um, if we were to just deploy the protocol on various chains, uh, then you would have multiple different versions of GBX and they wouldn't all talk to each other. So you, you would have a, uh, a, a, um, an ecosystem that didn't really quite know how to evaluate where it's at energetically. Um, you might have, uh, you know, 
as, as a builder, you might have to make difficult choices as to like where to spend your time. As an investor, you have to make difficult choices as to where to spend your energy. Um, and as a consumer, then you'd have the, the, the optimum experiment. You'd still have a decent experience because you could just use it wherever. But down, the downstream uh, consumer experience for Juicebox is realizing that all along, you've been accruing these tokens from paying fees. Um, so your fees don't just all go to a multi-sig or a person behind the scenes. Uh, they actually go to the community of projects that came before you and builders that helped push the ecosystem to where it's at. And so um, instead of, um, of pleasing the, uh, the consumer up front and, and saying, great, let's just put it everywhere just to get traffic, um, the, the research angle, uh, uh, which, you know, anyone could have done that. But my personal curiosity was to try to solve this. How do you get a treasury-backed token to live cross-chain? So you can accept revenues anywhere. Um, but it all goes back into supporting one token's value. Canonical token. Yeah, yeah, the canonical token. Um, and since JBX uh, was, is you know an experiment that's thriving, the thinking was we don't want to add more risk to JBX. This is very experimental stuff. So let's not think about this in terms of a, a, a JBX versioning experiment. Let's decouple this. Um, let's do this banana push uh, experiment, which... Folks now call Juicebox V4, um, so that's kind of the canonical uh, name that's that's taking uh, shape, just because we, like people are focusing on it now, and it, it is developing some some legitimacy despite not being deployed yet. Um, but it doesn't interact or uh, it doesn't interfere with V with V3 per se. Um, V4 will have a main project, right? Project one um, on all these chains will be Nana. Um, JBX, as a governance body, will own a large subset of the initial Nana supply. So JBX is economically tied to Nana insofar as it, it uh, owns Nana tokens that it can do whatever it wants to with uh, in, in its governance. Um, and um, yeah, so Nana is kind of this cross-chain juice box uh, system that's a fork of Juicebox v3 with this multi-chain capacity and a few more interesting um, details that make some of the, the initial functions and, uh, I, I guess, perspective functions uh, work in a pretty exciting way. So in the future, projects on Juicebox won't upgrade to Nana. Instead, they would create a new project because it's, it's kind of a separate ecosystem, but they're financially connected by JBEX DAO holding Nana tokens. Yeah, it's up to, like, Juicebox.money, the website, will probably it should stay pointing to Juicebox v3 for a while. I think Juicebox v4 or Nana, and, and, and I'll kind of use those inter interchangeably, um, that'll have to earn Juicebox.money's trust, right? I think like it's an experiment. It's going to be risky at times. Um, if it fails, that's that's all good. Um, we can try again. It doesn't really kind of have this... Um, this um, yeah, like if you're trying to run a, like a, 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 uh, like a cryo DAO or like the... Tornado Cash fundraiser now you should probably do that on V3, uh, like the tried and true protocol. Um, but project, but sites like Juicebox.money will have the choice eventually to support maybe both at the same time, so folks can choose uh, which to deploy on. But for most people, they won't really care, and clients will hand that, um, handle that for them. Um, we also have a few websites 
that will handle v4 specifically. Um, but those aren't going to be open-ended juicebox.money style interactions with the juicebox protocol in that context. Um, they'll be very laser focused on a very particular style of juicebox project uh, that we're calling revnets, um, which are unowned uh, vending machines uh, that have rules uh, for what happens when you put money into it, or buy something, um, and under what conditions you can retrieve money out of it um, that are determined upfront on deploy and that can't be changed by a project owner or multi-sig or a governance process later. So these are like truly, so just for listeners who maybe it's a lot, uh, the RevNets are kind of, um, I used to think of this as like hardened juice boxes, like they're they're set on deploy. Is that the idea? Basically, there's no yeah. admin. Right, exactly. Yeah. So you uh, like the juice box system, like each juice box project plays itself out in what's called funding cycles in v3 terms now we're calling them rule sets so it's going to get confusing because there's these words that we have been uh, adapting to our current time and you know learning from the past uh, i'll try to make it clear in this conversation like what correlates to what um, but in juicebox current land in juicebox v3 land project owners can schedule new funding cycles which are rule changes um, that you know over time as their project changes or their needs change um, a RevNet as a hardened juice box is a sequence of rule sets, funding cycles that are scheduled upfront. Um, and those will just happen automatically over time. So you can upfront say, cool, we're going to deploy this project after which we can't change this. The first, let's say 28 days um, is they're going to have these rules, let's say issuance of 1 million Banny tokens in the case of a Bannyverse project per ETH uh, um, paid in, you know, by, by way of an NFT purchase or something. Um, and then let's say after the 28 days, a second rule set will take place automatically and maybe the issuance gets cut or something. And then during each rule set, you can have all the, the juice box so You can imagine of, doing like a meme coin this way, for example, where you have really sure. fair issuance that's declared upfront and uh, all of the ETH is collected into, is it, is it still collected into a treasury or where, how does this ETH... Where does the ETH go when I buy a, a token? Let's say someone were to do a meme coin with a RevNet. It's all the payment terminal infrastructure of your your your, your normal juice box stuff. So um, you decide, uh, basically. You decide. Um, we have payment terminals for you to use uh, that can handle any token. So feel free to pay in whatever, and uh, they'll be stored in the, the juice box payment terminal contracts, and you can access it from there. So basically, uh, I could sell a meme coin in, uh, you know, I could I could launch a revnet of a meme coin. I just think it's an e accessible example for people because it, it removes a lot of the mechanisms, uh, and say, you know, it's going to be Nico coin, and you when you pay into it uh you get a certain amount of nico depending on when you purchase uh as uh, you know decelerating you know less and less nico issued over time and the eth or usdc or whatever it is token that i choose stays in the treasury and i guess that classic juice box redemption mechanic is is possible too so you could say if you want to get out uh, like constitution dow some people might remember basically you can always get a refund for a certain amount uh, and especially in a RevNet, it can be specified up front how much that amount will be over time as well. Right, exactly. So RevNets are kind of um, maybe uh, one particular angle on what Juicebox V3 was able to do, but really like tightened to just like make it automatic, make it a, a 
automated money machine. Yeah, exactly. And the project one on this Juicebox v4 protocol, Nana, is going to run as a RevNet. So unlike JBX, uh, which is project one on Juicebox v3, it has a governance body. So as funds come in, governance can decide to issue payouts from that those funds or whatever. Nana does not have governance. Nana is a money machine that's just going to run. Um, it has clear upfront rules on under what conditions new Nana can be issued, and it has clear un- upfront rules under uh, according to which Nana can be redeemed to access revenue from it. Makes sense. So uh, basically, and, and I, I think you know we we were talking about this a lot back in the day, also. But I think everyone is kind of trying to find ways to minimize governance and to just make. I mean, as soon as you introduce governance, it's sometimes necessary. But if you can avoid it, you save yourself a lot of time and energy and confusion and uncertainty if you could just lock it into an immutable contract and you know what you have to have to expect yeah governance is great but like when you're thinking about deploying many smaller scoped app experiments you don't want to manage a long tail of small treasuries with governance um, it's much better if you have a cleaner system in place most people that that cleaner system is just like let's just take money. Let's just collect revenue into our pockets and, or let's not take money at all. Let's make it free. Let's like not even think about money or revenue and kind of ignore that part of reality. And um, so the exercise here was to try to find that middle ground of like, no revenue is important, but we have to make it work very well for builders, investors, and retail alike. Um, and just so happens we have a lot of these tools from Juicebox, these levers that we can move around at will that if we fix a few in place, um, we actually get a, some pretty cool theoretic results. So now the question is, how will it play live? And we're doing Bannyverse as the first experiment to actually put this in motion um, and hide a lot of these complexities behind uh, fun Banny characters. Not in a, in, in, a, in a similar way to how originally Tiles, the first project on Juicebox, uh, hid a lot of the Juicebox mechanics underneath it by way of an art collection. Um, and as folks interacted with the, the art, a few folks every now and then, like one out of every 10 had a curiosity as to like, oh, what are these tile tokens? And then ended up in uh, the, the, the underlying community and then helped then, you know, create the future that it became. So, uh, but RevNets are more than just these kind of meme coin generators, vending machines. Uh, there's like some ideas in here that are uh, close to your philosophy. Retailism comes to mind. Um, can you explain a little bit what is retailism and and what the bigger idea about um, RevNets is? Yeah, so how will I explain retailism? Yeah, so I guess first there's a nice little blog post I wrote that's nice and short that will probably do a better job than I'll do here in wordy conversation. I tend to be kind of wordy when I start talking. Um, but retailism is a an idea that... Um, when, when you think about capitalist systems or socialist systems or like this constant dichotomy between the two, that tends to be very present in folks' minds. Um, I, I, I feel like it, it's a question of like, where does the debt lie? Like in, in a capitalist system, um, you're always kind of you know, passing the bag along um, and amplifying narratives, uh, you know, up and down, up and down um, so that someone buys your bag um, and usually retail ends up with the bag um, and it kind of manifests, uh, you know, in your you know, shopping re- retail by like at a, at a point of sale, but um, in like an investing 
retail context. It happens oftentimes in these internet spaces where folks are creating narratives and amplifying them. Um, and, there, and, and so you have uh, you know, the opportunity for things to moon, um, but then you have the opportunity for things to totally crash and rug. Um, and it's all a function of belief. And, uh, and there's a lot going on behind the scenes oftentimes um, that, that uh, makes the surface a lot more manipulatable than it first appears. Um, and um, the opposite end of the spectrum, like nonprofitism or donationism, kind of eludes this idea of, of, of incentives altogether. Um, so what, what retailism tries to do is bring retail into the in-group um, alongside builders and investors. And it does so um, by treating entrance into a, an economic game uh, in these uh, time-bounded phases. So, you know, if you, uh, let's say from now until next week, uh, if you contribute something into this treasury, um, here are the rules. It's the same for everybody. Like no one has special privileges or permissions. Um, but the trade-off is there's, there's no scarcity there, right? It's just like I contribute, let's say one ETH and I get, let's say one of the RevNet's tokens out. Um, if I buy right after you, we get the same rate because we were part of the same, let's say, generation of users, of investors, of, of, of consumers. If we were to put NFTs in front of this, you know, let's the revenue from buying the NFTs go into that RevNet during the same generation. So we're treated the same. Um, and then once that time period passes, then um, the rules can change. And oftentimes in retailism, the rules change by the price of entry. It gets a little bit more expensive. Um, so it respects the risk taken by those who came before, um, but also uh, allows folks to still get in at, um, and be the previous generation of a yet f for future generation. So you have this kind of step function uh, that ends up being a price ceiling, right? Um, because it is the maximum price that anyone's willing to buy uh, to get into a network. Um, if, the, if, if there emerges a, a, a market um, of the token um, kind of on an AMM or something, the, the token price would never go above the price ceiling because otherwise I would just go back to the RevNet and buy from it to create new tokens. And so you still have this, this debt where those who come later are paying the same amount by getting less, um, which gives value to those who came before. Um, but it's it, it makes sense because those who came before have taken some, on some risk, have taken on some, uh, and, and, and deserve some opportunity upside for doing that, or some reason to actually be looking for those risks to take on. Um, at the same time, there's downside uh, uh, protection because the only way to get your revenue out of of the revnet is by turning in your tokens, right? So uh, let's say for the sake of example, on week one, uh, you put in one ETH and get one token from the RevNet. And then on week two, I put in one ETH and get one half of a token. Uh, now the RevNet has two ETH in it and you have uh, two thirds of the, the token supply. Um, so if you were to redeem the, your tokens, you would get, you know, a, a uh, I don't know if it's a larger share than what you put in. It depends on the math, depends on how many people are involved and whatever. Um, but 
as you exercise that immediacy, as you as you exercise that that uh, that exit from the revnet, you're also going to pay a tax to everyone who stayed in. Um, so it's a it, those who stay in longer uh, also. Uh, the network prefers folks who stay in longer than those who call top and leave mm-hmm. um, before everyone else does. So those two things, this price ceiling and this price floor at which you can exit, um, they both uh, recognize the risks taken by retail investors and builders uh, in the beginning and throughout a network's growth and also recognize uh, those who stay longer. Um, so you, you're trying to balance these these energies so that you don't have um, folks who come in just amplify narratives uh, to actually walk away with the bulk of the network's value. Right, because these tokens that just their price fluctuates according to an AMM strictly uh, do feel I, NFTs also uh, like order books can feel a lot like a game of chicken where it's really just like who can call top for a speculative pump. Um, even for legitimate products, often this happens uh, for their tokens. Uh, it's not just for things that have no ba- no substance. But one thing this makes me wonder is, well, two things. First of all, if the last token holder is to redeem, is all of the ETH redeemed from the, th- from the, the RevNet? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so the last token holder has access to the whole rest of the network, um, which, again, is a function of all of the redeems that came before and the current network state, right? So how many tokens are out there, which is just their holding. And the presuming that, that, that um, sales are still open in some like later, what did you call the frames of reference? The uh, generations, you can call them. Or r- rule sets. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 So if you, you know, let's say, you know, 100 rule sets down the road, um, the original uh, bag holders have all, Got, you know, are all ready to leave or have all left and there's only one left. Well, as long as the sales are still open, then there's new people being minted as holders. So it's not just a, there's no initial, there's no total supply, uh, max total supply. Or there might be, right. but there's not necessarily. So the, the, the like once you've grokked these, these parameters, the, the price ceiling parameter, the price floor parameter, there's one more that people get into later, which kind of gives the entrepreneur, like the builder, uh, access to the game as it unfolds. But if we take that out of the picture, if we just look at the price ceiling, the price floor, um, those are two, those two, uh, like the rate of change of those two values are configurable on deploy. So if you want to make the generations shorter and more extreme, so, you know, have issuance taper off quicker, you can do so. And if you want to make the exit tax more aggressive to make it less worth it for someone to redeem before someone else, you can also do that. There's trade-offs, obviously, and there's these tensions that you have to kind of strike. Um, but it's possible. Um, and then as an AMM emerges, obviously, then it fills the space between the price floor and the price ceiling so that new purchases, if the best price is at an AMM and not at the price ceiling, uh, the that order will kind of uh, be routed to buy back from the AMM. So the ceiling is the price I could buy it for today to issue a new token. Right. And the floor is what I would get back if I burned my token and redeemed it. Right. Exactly. And then the AMM sort of fills the middle space with all the motivated uh, token holders, uh, LPing AMMs, such that there is, uh, you know, they're, they're mar- essentially market making between the two prices yep. that the are makers and takers. The makers and takers fill the, the, the middle. So if you have a RevNet that you deploy, that has a very aggressive price ceiling increase rate, you're not going to have a lot of liquidity. 
right? Or like you might not have a lot of liquidity. I guess it's a function of how many people participate on day one. Um, But um, I guess part of the thesis also is that just doing an AMM is not the best way to launch a project. It's not the, the best way to do a day one, like a, like a you know, your, your startup, uh, you're going to do a startup, let's just mint the token, find an LP uh, to, to, to pair the token with something common, and then see the price kind of tick up and down from there. Um, you're better off putting these, these, these guardrails, these price ceilings and price floors to actually create liquidity up front, and then have those gradually give way to a like a wider space for the AMM to, to, to take hold um, while also ensuring that it can't go to zero because it's backed by revenue. Um, so if you think about it in the, in like common, uh, you know, uh, like Silicon Valley investor type terms where things trade at a multiple to earnings or something, uh, the AMM can kind of fluctuate above the price floor, which is where the revenue is. Um, and so people can trade that all day, but to access the revenue, uh, if, if the price drops, then you know uh, the 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 revenue will start to leave the system and go to holders who are burning tokens. And that'll like each transaction of that will incur the exit tax, which will actually push the price floor up. So the price floor can only go up, and the price ceiling can only go up, and then the AMM kind of sits between. And so, does it always resolve in sort of widening the gap between the floor and the ceiling, or are there programs you might give it rule set schedules you might give it where that's not the case, where the the distance between the two is more constant? Yeah, I mean, like you, the most boring game is a one rule set that's forever at a price ceiling that's just right. like one token, one rule uh, set in for one token out. Um, in, in which in the, the exit floor is just a re, like a refund. Um, so those two are forever the same. And so it really starts there. And then you can kind of tune it uh, as you want to kind of open that up as aggressively or as uh, gently as, as your network prefers. Like if you're thinking about designing like a, a 401k system for like, you know, a, a population of people, you probably want a very gradual system because that's that's meant to unfold over literally generations of people. So if I'm paying into that system today, um, it shouldn't be drastically different from what my parents paid into it 30 years ago. Um, but if you're running a meme coin, maybe you do want to just give folks access to it up front um, and then get out of the way and let the memetics do the work from there. Mm-hmm. The, the other function that you want in a meme coin, and um, this is n- definitely not financial advice, but uh, being done expertly by Jasic, uh with the DGen coin on Farcaster right now, is sort of producing the uh, unfolding of you know sort of the art of running a meme coin. You know, I think that, I, I think with that one, the total supply was uh, actually no. I think there is an inflation schedule also for that one percent per year in four years or something. But um, in general, like there is a kind of total supply for now, and some portion of it the creator has access to in order to give it to people to make the meme happen more broadly. How might that happen in a revnet? So the other. So we've talked about the price ceiling, the price floor. The other aspect to a revnet is you specify an operator up front, just an address. It could be you, it could be me, it could be Jasper. And um, an operator split rate. 
Um, we're, we're also calling it a boost. So we're trying to find the right word here. Let's say uh, like in, in, in juice box terms, it cor- corresponds to the reserved rate. Um, but let's say um, we set that rate at, at 10%, right? Every new token issued from the RevNet when you put funds in and then mint new tokens at the price ceiling or buy from AMM, uh, when you do that buyback, uh, that percent of tokens gets reserved for the operator. Um, so the operator will maintain part of the, the supply growth as it grows. Um, and it's not scheduled upfront, right? It's a function of how many people are interacting with the network today um, and also what is the issuance rate. So it's revenue dependent. It's revenue dependent. It's time dependent, uh, just like everyone else. So, so the builder supply is treated just like everyone else's. Um, so the builder ends up with these tokens um, in, in Banny versus case can be Banny tokens. And as those, and, and, and with those tokens, it can do whatever it wants, right? It can pay staff, it can airdrop, um, it can burn them, it can return them to the network, uh, you know, whatever it wants to do. And anytime someone wants to then access the underlying revenue, it has to make the same choice. Do I want to do it now and pay a tax or do I want to do it once the network grows a little bit more? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we sort of glossed over, you, you did mention it before, but I, I didn't touch on it deeply, the AMM and the buyback module. But from a RevNet's perspective, um, essentially, if I go to purchase tokens or burn tokens in the RevNet and I could get a better price on Uniswap, then the RevNet contract will redirect the trade to Uniswap. Right. Yeah. So you can think about it in the, the Bannyverse case, you're going to go buy naked Banny. Um, if someone's willing on the market to, to uh, give up their Banny token, uh, ERC-20 token, for a certain price, and that's a better price for you uh, than what the, the, the RevNet's willing to issue new Banny tokens for, um, it'll go and fulfill that trade and then give you the, the total minus what the operator's percent is. Mm-hmm. Right? So the operator still gets their share in those AMM buyback trades. So it might be better for them to go straight to the AMM in that case? Or I guess it doesn't matter to the buyer. It, 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 from the buyer's perspective, you should go to the AMM if you're not if you're not interacting with something else, right? Like if you're interacting with NFTs and you're you're buying the NFT, the, the revenue must go through the RevNet to get to the AMM. If you're just trying to speculate on the underlying token, uh, you're better off going to the network direct. Uh, rather, you're better off going to the AMM directly because you won't incur that that operator split. Right, right. But I guess for you as a buyer, it doesn't matter. It just means as a buyer, the only downside is that there's a little bit less going to back the tokens that you've now purchased. If because some of it is going to the operator. Exactly. Yeah, you, you will get fewer Banny tokens per ETH if you go through the RevNet. Uh, if you're just after the ERC-20 RevNet token, um, because let's say like uh, the AMM is willing to give one Banny per one ETH, um, I can go directly and get one Banny per one ETH. Or if I go through the RevNet, I will get uh, 0.95 Bannies right. per that one ETH in the 0.5. So, you know, if you want to support the, the production effort, how, if you trust that um, explicitly, then you might want to go to the RevNet. But if you're just trying to get the most Banny for your buck, um, you should go through the AMM. Um, but then obviously, if you're, if you're interacting via a revenue mechanism like NFT sales, that then you have, you have no choice. You have to go through the revenue. And, 
actually, and I, I was wrong in what I said earlier because you don't, as a buyer, you get more tokens back from the AMM trade, uh, marginally more tokens back, but you don't contribute any ETH to the, or whatever the token you're trading against it is to the treasury. Instead, that all goes to the other side of the AMM or the NFT, um, what have you. But you said Bannyverse ERC20 or? It's, yeah, so, so the, each RevNet has its token, uh, which is an ERC20. So I guess in, in the vending machine metaphor, let's let's say we have a, a vending machine um, that's selling Bany NFTs, like the naked Bannies and the outfits, right? Yeah. Um, I go in, I put in a dollar, and I get the Bany NFT. With RevNets, I will also get a token that's that's part of that that RevNet, which we're calling dollar sign Bany, right? So it is a little confusing uh, in in speech, but on paper it kind of looks like an ERC twenty. Um, and the only way to access the underlying revenue of the, the, the vending machine, that dollar that I put in, is to sh- shove that dollar sign Banny back into the machine and then get whatever the vending machine is willing to give me from that dollar. So probably if I do it right away, just for like an immediate reback, uh, immediate rebate, it's probably going to be uh, you know, pennies on the dollar. Um, but if I wait and the vending machine is quite popular that year, maybe I'll get a little bit more. So, okay, so you can imagine I walk up to a vending machine, it's got little Banny characters in it, they're NFTs and their clothes, I purchase one of them, and the machine, I, I put in ETH into the machine, or you could configure other tokens if you wanted, USDC something. Uh, so I put my tokens in, let's call it ETH, and then out comes the Banny uh, Snickers bar uh, that I ordered, the the NFT that I wanted, the little keychain, or however you want to think about it, as well as some fungible tokens. And those fungible tokens are, uh, if I when I'm ready to put them back into the machine, I get a portion of the whole treasury, uh, the whole cash box inside that vending machine. Right. Yeah. You can do it right away for an immediate rebate. Um, if you want to think about it that way, you don't want to think about the fungible aspect, um, or you know, it, you'll just check in later and you'll see that that mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, the cool thing is the value of it will never go down from that moment you bought the Banny Snickers bar. Um, like the, the, le- the least possible value will be at the time that you purchased the, the Snicker bar. And then over time, as more folks use the machine uh, in future generations, uh, future rule sets, right? Um, the value of those Bannies that, that you got in that transaction uh, will just be worth a little bit more uh, because that debt, from that debt metaphor earlier, um, future generations are contributing to your the risks that you took by buying earlier uh than later. And the, the reason this kind of is poignant to me is I, I, I feel like retail does a lot of work carrying networks forward. Um, builders are great. They do a lot of work. You know, investors are great. They do a lot of work. But retail is like this growing segment of every network. And that's what you want. You want larger networks. Um, and you want people to be all somewhat all three, right? You want to treat like everyone like they are part of your team. Um, and word of mouth is the most uh, kind of interesting uh, uh, like cost per acquisition uh, strategy. So you want your network's tokens in everyone who buys from your network uh, to help propagate and storytell and, uh, and and move the network forward. And this and RevNets really lets them. Yeah, as you say, it's sort of blurring the relationship. There's no, it's not such a strict uh, consumer uh, retailer 
relationship. Instead, you participate in the upside of propagating the meme by participating in it. Uh, you, you're directly involved in a way that you aren't in typical kind of retail experiences. Yeah. And if you want to configure your RevNet to uh, like especially honor those who came at the very beginning, then you would deploy a RevNet with the first rule set with, you know, particularly uh, interesting incentives. Um, let's say a million Banny per ETH coming in, decreasing 5% every 24 hours. So every day you go from a million to 950,000 uh, to, you know, over and over and over for, tw- for however long that first rule set is. And then afterwards you can then go to a much lower issuance rate automatically and then do a very steady uh, price ceiling increase from there. So then you can, you know, everyone still has the opportunity to get in, um, but maybe you don't even have anything for sale that this first 28 days or whatever, that first uh, rule set. And then the more retail experience is that second phase where, okay, it's, it's a little bit less new now, a little bit less risk, um, but you still have very clear cut rules. So you can kind of configure as you wish, um, but however you do configure it, the rules are open to everybody. So it's still an open uh, sequence that that is is public, uh, and um, anyone can send a transaction on the blockchain to participate. And it's potentially deployed across multiple L2s as well. Yeah, and so the same rules you deploy the same rule set. The reason revnets are really good for this cross-chain experiment is because they're deterministic. So once you deploy, the rules don't change. You don't have to synchronize rule changes. So you can deploy the same rules across any number of chains. Then all you are left with is writing the logic that we're calling suckers, that kind of suck payments um, and and token issuance down onto the main chain where your your revenue-backed token is. Um, and uh, then they can kind of live anywhere, right? The same rules can be applied anywhere. You can access it anywhere. It's very like multicultural. In that Where sense. do the RevNet tokens get issued? Aside from the, like, let's say the Bannyverse, let's say Bannyverse on Optimism. Do I also get Banny uh, fungibles on Optimism? You will get, um, yes, is the, the, the simple answer. It's a different address, a different token that you can then say, like, go and suck these tokens down to mainnet. Um, so you, you can interact with the optimism vending machine, you'll get op tokens, and then you can then say like, all right, I actually want to, um, um, you won't be able to do the RevNet kind of exit thing there. You have to suck it down to mainnet to play the mainnet game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I guess to take the, the, uh, like the reality all the way to the end, it's like that happens automatically, right? So you, you don't have to deal with those tokens at all. Um, you make a payment to the vending machine and the vending machine will automatically create this this kind of tree of queued sucks down to mainnet. Then anyone can go and suck it down and then be part of uh, the actual network down there. So redemption always happens on, on mainnet, like the treasury is practically on mainnet. Yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. Wow. Um, you know, it's complicated, but it's it's very clean design also. I, I understand the the motivation for all of it and the user experience you can imagine around it. Uh, even kind of lends itself to cross, you know, not cross-chain minting, but mint where your ETH is, mint where your, your TVL is personally, um, and also handles the resolving where the best price is at the time of purchase. So you can imagine really just something quite like a vending machine as a website. And uh, people being able to interact 
pretty simply with the website, but under the hood, all this complicated stuff is going on. Yeah. And you're going to have different, if there are AMMs involved in the transactions, like if there are AMMs filling between the price ceiling and price floor, you might have a different uh, yield uh, from the, from the revenue you contribute. Um, but that's just part of the ecosystem at that point. Uh, you know, it's a, a permissionless space. And so we'll, we'll let the experiment play out and see what, how those energies unfold. Um, and I'm really excited also about honoring the various cultures that are that emerge from these various chains too, um, by way of you know Banny outfit drops, for instance. Um, we, you can have you can have different things for sale on one chain than you do on the other chain, but they both have the same economic engine um, that powers them both. Uh, so you know maybe folks on Arbitrum have a particular aesthetic um, that's different from folks on on base. For example, it doesn't really make sense to put the same uh, outfits everywhere in in that that context. Yeah, you can imagine also sort of some kind of competition dashboard uh, between them to to see which community is the strongest or show your support. Uh, Very cool. Is that the full rundown on RevNets or are there aspects of it that we haven't discussed yet? I think that's the full rundown. Awesome. That was very concise. Yeah, like there's there's one more parameter like if if you if if I'll I'll, I'll send you a pitch deck of of Bannyverse that has the end what you normally see as a, the terms sheet, which is just how how the RevNet is configured. Um, it's really simple. Like there's not a lot going on once you've grokked like the four or five different parameters. Um, the one that we haven't touched on is a pre-mint. Right when the network is deployed, uh, you can pre-mint a number of uh, your network's tokens up front. Uh, let's say to um, on our pre-production of some sorts or to do pre-production incentives or however Great you drops want. Things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but everything has the tensions, right? So you can do a full fair launch type thing um, and there's no, like everyone literally plays the same game or if you do have reason to, uh, you can also specify um, that pre-mint up front and that might be a great way for folks who are currently running their their economies um, via traditional venture or via um, whatever else to also use a revnet and point new revenues to it because um, of you know you've seen some other project that's working very well with it um, or you, you you want to experiment um, while also honoring where you currently are and where you've been um, so hopefully it's also flexible enough to um, to fold in to current experiments um, for for folks who want to be a little bit more, um, you know, who want to put their capital formation on chain uh, as opposed to use tried and true, uh, like safe agreements or SAFs or things that that uh, have been tried in, in kind of software for the past 20 years, but don't really leverage the tools that we're building and that make all this retailist energy possible. Um, so I guess the last thing is that um, we've been working very closely with um, some researchers who are lawyers and are very interested in RevNets from a legal perspective, um, from this unowned perspective, you know, you're deploying this vending machine that, you know, every vending machine has a, a key that you can go and like turn the key and that's where you can access all, all the quarters. Um, there's the key in, in, in the RevNet sense will just give you tokens of the RevNet. So it's not the revenue itself. Uh, the, the revenue has to be accessed according to the same rules by everybody. So it's also very exciting from a legal perspective uh, to interact with these things uh, without the possibility of rug pulls, without the possibility of uh, 
of governance or some some permission to risk. Awesome. Uh, I forgot there's a sponsor today. <laughs> I got to do the sponsor read. Speaking of making money. Uh so the sponsor today, and I'm very grateful for them. They're a very cool company. And uh, I know Seb, the founder personally, and he's a great person um, and very generous with his time and attention as well. Zapper is a smart block explorer that allows you to view the chain in a simple and human readable way. You can track your NFTs and DeFi portfolio. You can search any Ethereum address, discover new opportunities and trade all from one place. You can also download the mobile app from the Apple Play, the, sorry, the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. Uh, so do check out Zapper. It's very cool. They're experimenting all the time, and uh, it's a very nice team building a good product. Great place to check out how your tokens are doing and, and discover what everyone else is doing on the chain too. They say, see you on chain. So my thanks to Zapper for sponsoring this episode. I love Zapper. I'm glad they sponsored this. Yeah, you ever use it? Yeah, you tried it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's a solid place to, to look at all your wallets. I, I, I think it's the one I... Uh, I look at the most of, of any of those things. Um, so uh, did we do the gamut on Nana? I feel like there might be more uh, ideas related to Nana here. Or is Nana just Nana, underlying infrastructure for RevNets, really? Nana is super boring, right? Nana, well, I guess, all right. So Nana, the token is super boring. It's just project number one's token. So as fees come in, um, it, it, it issues Nana. So in Juicebox world, um, it... Uh, project one accrues fees when money from any project leaves the protocol. So let's say there's a fundraiser going on and they, uh, they fundraise, 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 and then distribute that out to a multi-sig to then use for whatever reason. 2.5% of that fundraise will go down to project number one, and that'll issue tokens back out to the, the fee payer. So uh, that's kind of how the token starts to distribute. And then... Um, yeah, and then also on, on, on redemptions, right? So if I have a token and I'm redeeming it uh, for some underlying funds from, from the project, um, in, in only in the case that it's not a, a one-to-one refund, so there's no fees on refunds, uh, that'll also incur the 2.5% fee. So Nana is the juice box V4 that's in that, that, that has that fee engine. It runs as a RevNet, so its underlying money IO situation with fees is RevNet-ish. Um, so basically, projects on L2s are going to be paying fees into uh, the L2 sort of transaction yes. engine that will ultimately suck the funds down to L1, where some some percentage of fees will be assessed to, uh, let's just say, every RevNet project, and will land in this Nana Bananapus project, uh, where the Nana tokens are then being issued when those fees are paid, either when people jump in and just support... Uh, Nana directly, or if they're paying fees on their projects on L2s uh, through right. RevNets, then they're going to be earning Nana tokens, and they'll be earning Nana tokens as a function of when, because it's, right. it is itself a RevNet. Right. Yeah. And same same thing. Uh, same way Juicebox currently works with the JBX token. Um, it's important to note that Nana is Juicebox before it's open ended, so it's the same thing as Juicebox. It supports the same open-ended version of projects. So you can run fundraisers. You don't ha have to run RevNets on Nana. You can run anything. Um, you could also schedule multiple funding cycles in advance. So the current juice box, you can schedule the subsequent funding cycle. Uh, and uh, on before, you can schedule you know 20 funding cycles up front or however many, and they'll just all take on. They're called rule sets in before. Um, so Nana, as a protocol... Bananapus, Juicebox V4 as a protocol um, is open-ended. 
uh, just like Juicebox, but the project number one runs as a RevNet, and all of the projects that we're currently workshopping to experiment with here are, are RevNets. So um, we're doing Bannyverse first, and then we have 10 or so uh, projects from a bunch of folks in the ecosystem who are also excited about running their business as RevNets, um, who will we'll all learn from how the Bannyverse experiment goes, and then we'll start to deploy some of these other projects. Awesome. It actually is quite simple uh, in a way, all this. Uh, it's, I'm sure, extremely complicated under the hood, but from a user perspective, uh, it sounds like it could be pretty pretty slick once all the, the front-end pieces are uh, built. If that's the case, I got to do some shout-outs because that's been a lot of work to get to this point. <laughs> um, it, big yeah. shout-out to Philip, uh, who you know very well. Uh, Philip is a machine. He's uh, a bright and cheery fellow um, who cares a lot about making things flow uh, from a systems perspective as well as from a documentation's perspective. And he did a massive audit of the whole Juicebox language uh, that was used in interfaces and contracts um, and has been doing the same for the, the Banana Puss cross-chain infra, the RevNet infra. Uh, so big thanks to Philip for, for leading the way there. Um, and then there's a lot of folks who, who have also done a lot of work um, by just, you know, the moment you start to build interfaces for these things, a lot of things become clearer. Um, so Aeolian, big shout out for uh, really pushing the, the RevNet.app uh, experience along. That's kind of like the Juicebox.money equivalent for this V4 that only handles RevNets. Um, so that's massive help. Um, KMAC is perpetually around asking questions, suggesting improvements. Um, big shouts to KMAC. Obviously, all the, the contract folks who um, have been working on all of these components. Based has done a lot of this cross-chain uh, sucker infrastructure work. Um, so that's sounds complicated. Uh, it's complicated. It's been you know there's lots of components there. Um, there's also a few components that we'll we'll uh, introduce down the line that aren't deploy that we don't need them for deploy, but well, we could use them later for some cross-community interactions. Um, so there's just been a lot of work over this past year. And at times we, we get it right. At times we push things along and it's not exactly what we need in the moment. So we, we reprioritize. So it's taken patience and a lot of love from a lot of people. Um, Dr. Gorilla for, uh, you know, he inspired a lot of the, the, the AMM buyback logic and has now built uh, this great swap terminal. So you can pay or take fees in any currency and it'll swap in real time for the the currency the RevNet accepts or the Juicebox project accepts. And then uh, more relatively newer, uh, uh, No Wonder came in from a hackathon uh, late last year, like in the fall of last year, U.S. fall, Northern Hemisphere fall, um, and um, has been writing a lot of tests and really, really, it's like so refreshing to have new eyes on um, like pieces of infrastructure that have been looked at a lot. Um, and that's been a huge help and allowed a lot of folks to focus on more creative lever, uh, layers of research. Um, so in, in, things are feeling as good and safe as we can get them without uh, going that extra step and doing audits, which we have in our purview. But um, it's also we're treating this deploy as an experiment. Um, and yeah, so big shouts to everyone here. Yeah, I mean, congrats to everyone. It's a great team uh, of truly decentralized, distributed, internet-native team. 
Um, and I, like, I, like while I'm doing this, it's going to be like one more minute. Cause I got to shout please. out like, <laughs> like while this whole experiment side of it is going on, there's been a bunch of folks at Peel, uh, you know, uh, Alien, Perry, Strath, uh, Tim, Wraith, who've been building like on Juicebox V3, making that more consumer friendly, which is kind of the buzz in, in Web3 these days. Um, so yeah, big shouts to everyone who's just making like the current engine work while we can experiment with these future things. Uh, Matthew and Briley for helping plug a lot of uh, kind of the ecosystem in from a communications perspective. They've been doing a, a, like an incredible job. Uh, probably missing folks, but yeah, it's a big, I'm sure. big, big community effort. Yeah. And, and even people who aren't mentioned, I'm sure, uh, you're very appreciative of, uh, there's, there's great people in that community. Um, and people come in and come and, and leave and come back. And, uh, it's, it's a beautiful, I feel very crypto native organism, even though, uh, you know, in the sense that it's evolving, it's very interested in actually using smart contracts to do things that crypto is natively good at and, and that are problems in the real world, but are kind of sticky issues and hard to, you're really not going to figure it out without crypto. Only crypto can do these kinds of things. And and I think playing out that experiment, a uh, series of experiments is, has been very fruitful and very cool to watch. Is this revnet.app uh, slash create? Is this, is this real? Is this, uh, is this real life? It's it's all on uh, so we're on Ethereum Sepolia and Optimism Sepolia right now. Okay. Um, we have some production candidates going up this week. Things are are every Sunday night we have new deploys up. Um, so it's not real in the sense of uh, it's it's not uh, facilitating funding right now. Um, but it's real and it's it's actively being worked on. So every time you load it up, it might be a little different, a little better than the day before. There's also blog posts that are linked from it. Um, and there's some some content at revnet.eth.limo as well. Um, so that's where you would go to to poke around and learn more. And then there's a Telegram chat and a Discord for community workshops and calls and whatnot. So also in the when the Web three decentralized space, it's not very organized. It's, it's everywhere. Uh, there's there's a lot of different links, um, but everyone gets to give their take and together we kind of make it better. That's great. Uh, Sunday release schedule. Is that a, is that a cadence that's proving productive for you? It's not, uh, it's not been adhered to on a, like every, every week, but I, I try not to deploy stuff midweek or like when things are being worked on. Um, so I, I give, I give the contract efforts uh, Sundays uh, to wipe everything and, and redeploy and hmm. push, you know, any lingering uh, nudges change, to the change code. the interface. <laughs> and the interface changes way more frequently. I'm talking more more like contracts. Oh no, I um, mean the, like, the like contract, contract interface. Like, like, uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Which luckily now the changes have been really small. There's still some. Uh, the last bits that we're getting into place are the the, the cross chain stuff. Uh, so we might see, uh, you know, hopefully Bannyverse goes live end of February, um, but we're only going to do it when everyone's. 100%. This is this is this is great. Um and it's it's getting close. That's awesome. So um th- that doesn't that's not necessarily tightly uh linked to the revnet.app but it is related to the the deploy of the revnet of the nana on yeah, yeah, the yeah. chains. Yeah, so we'll put the nana protocol up revnet.app and then Banniverse will be the first project. Um 
And then there's going to be a lot of projects from there. Um, there's a, uh, yeah, I, I guess I'll leave that for a future conversation. Yeah, I can only imagine. Um, were there any other topics that uh, we were going to hit this episode that we haven't got to yet? I feel like we covered quite a few things. I think we covered some good things. I, I guess uh, while we're here, just shout out the currently active campaign to help fund some tornado cash devs, uh, legal expenses as they're they're uh, yeah dealing with some some uh, some pushback for for writing open source code. Um, so that's a Juicebox project active on V3 that a lot of contributors to Juicebox are working on, uh, helping build awareness for. Uh, yeah, so there's like hundreds of thousands of dollars for this already. That. I think it's like seven hundred thousand or something at this point. Wow. And there's a few weeks left. Awesome. Uh, so if, if you're into open source and all the stuff that's all the sh- like, we're building the stuff on shoulders of giants for sure. Um, people who took massive risks to allow us to take a little fewer risks, um, and uh, we should still be taking risks because there's a lot of work to do. Uh, but um, yeah, it's it's cool to see the community come together around these things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so go check that out. That's on juicebox.money. It's probably the easiest way to find that. And um, there was another big project recently, wasn't there? Crowdow uh, raised Crowdow, over yes. two, yeah, two, two million for for science research on life preservation uh, via cryogenics. Um, some really earnest and thoughtful uh, uh, creators there who who are doing their best to run a really disciplined community and fund uh, science experiments and research. Um, so hope, hope to see more of those, but they ran a hell of an experiment. Hmm, cool. More in the DSI kind of side yeah. of things, which uh, doesn't usually have such successful races, at least to my knowledge, but uh, I suppose there's projects right. out there. Yeah. That's, they uh, ran a, cool. a similar campaign to what Moondow ran a few years mm-hmm. ago, who's mm-hmm. still a great project that's running with the thick community. So um, going strong. Yeah, hopefully it's, this is the start of something for, for Cryodot too. That's cool. That's an interesting playbook that's uh, being used multiple times now. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, fascinating. Uh, all right, so Bannyverse we have to look forward to. No date exactly, but coming soon to a chain near you. Banny.eth.limo uh, is the site you want to keep up with. Awesome. I will check it out. And uh, I know Juicebox also has a new channel on Farcaster uh, that some people have been hanging out in. So uh, if people want to hang out today, I guess, I mean, I said juice box, but I guess there's like several communities here we're talking about. Where are the congregating points for each of these things? The juice box DAO discord has historically been the the point of uh, like the nexus point, although it is starting to peel off into these smaller pockets of communities. But we still maintain uh, Tuesday, 5 p.m. Eastern town halls. So that's a great point, uh, a great place to come and, and, and listen in to the, the topic du jour of the week, the topic du semaine. Topic du week, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and uh, yeah, like you'll, you'll, you'll find folks there. And um, if you're interested in a specific niche, uh, you'll... That's been going strong be for a long time. Over. Going strong for a long time. And it makes like new things, new channels like uh, Warpcaster and Farcaster and whatnots. Uh, very daunting. It's like, oh man, like, <laughs> like we're so cozy here. It's so like familiar. We know how it works. Like, it, like our whole governance is there. Like, all, you know, it's 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 so cozy. So it's like, oh man, there's like a, a thousand places to be now, and a thousand like it's like messages to send and to amplify, amplify. And it's like, ah, oh, it's it's 
it's an interesting world, and I really appreciate what they've built there. And I'm uh, I'm, I'm I'm falling in love with it slowly, but also uh, can't help but be a little bit like like is this the last one, or will there be another one like next week that I'll have to fall in love with too? You know, or information so overload. Like, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. I think one thing that's cool about that one, I mean, I guess Lens tried also, but it is interesting to have something where sending messages is free and doesn't require signing or any kind of obtuse uh, UX. Although I think, you know, you can imagine a Lens app solving that with an app or PWA, but uh, just having having a very lightweight posting experience, but tied to uh, Ethereum address is pretty interesting. I think that awesome. it's going to be jet fuel for that network. I don't think it's going to stop because to have engagement, measurable engagement tied to an address, measurable social engagement tied to an address, we haven't really had yet, except for maybe you could say Reddit in a kind of way, but not a serious way. So I just, I, I, I just hope they will uh, consider um, moving their business model or capital formation structure onto something like RevNets to make it more publicly accessible. One Here's day. hoping. Here's hoping. Uh, I'm not sure that's the that's what that team's uh, energy is like, but <laughs> TBD. Um, but actually, I do think like, uh, speaking of that DGen coin earlier, I do think there's a huge opportunity for things like RevNets to propagate on uh, something like Farcaster because it's so easy to identify interactions that like people are using now, uh, these frame interactions to like someone built a slot machine where you can press the button once every few hours and randomly, you know, some Vercel uh, serverless uh, Lambda figures that, you know, rolls the dice for you and decides if you win a, a chunk of change. And then they ultimately do some kind of airdrop. It's like a mixture of Web 2 tech and Web 3 tech, but it's cool because you can sort of move at the speed of uh, social engagement and then sort of sum all that engagement up into some kind of on-chain action like a token transfer from a airdrop wallet something like that yeah so it's it's super cool and i guess in the spirit of uh the og nicholas uh uh like written emojis that you dropped in the juice box discord uh let's try let's try that's it <laughs> for people who don't know i used to make reacts in the juice box discord uh it was, uh, so much fun um, that's it they're used all the time still oh that's great oh that's heartwarming um okay and if people want to check out revnets where do they go i know there's a thursday meeting thursday 5 p.m eastern um if you go to revnet.eth.limo all the links are in there um yeah, you can follow me. I'm, I'm posting more and more. There's a there's a Telegram, there's a Discord. Uh, yeah, there's there's all kinds of channels, uh, fortunately and unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 all individuals at the end of the day. So if you like, if you'll find uh, like, an, an, like someone's angle on how they approach it, you can always talk to them individually. And uh, but the communities are all all. On, on these discords and telegrams as well. Amazing. Um, and Bannyverse, uh, I guess there's links from RevNets maybe, or where, where, how can people find Bannyverse? Banny.eth.limo is a spot there. And yes, we are working on far, Farcaster distribution too, um, but we need help. So if, I guess, shout out to if anyone around is interested in helping on the visibility marketing front um, and has, uh, you know, relationships to people or communities and is interested in this kind of, uh, economic design world or cartoon design if it's Banny specific uh, do reach out to us um, that's that'd be a, an, an immense contribution that, that we need amazing 
Django, this is a great conversation. Thank you so much for sharing everything that's been going on in your universe. Hell yeah. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. See you in the next episode. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Web3 Galaxy Brain. To keep up with everything Web3, follow me on Twitter at Nicholas with four leading ends. You can find links to the topics discussed on today's episode in the show notes. Podcast feed links are available at web3galaxybrain.com. Web3 Galaxy Brain airs live most Friday afternoons at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2200 UTC on Twitter Spaces. I look forward to seeing you there.